Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Nicole Hannah-Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. Hi, everyone. I wanted to have some entrance music. I wanted to come into Beyonce Ape, but I was going to do the bed sheet move and everything. But <laughs> they decided it was too last minute. So I hope you've all had a great day. Um, who's enjoyed the festival so far? Yeah. Who's learned something today? Yeah. Who's networked? Yeah. Who has created or will create after the festival? Yeah. Okay, great. Who will be coming back next year? Okay, great. Well, it's the final stretch now, so I'm going to introduce you to our last live show, and um, our headline show, uh, Wannabe. Yes? In this special live recording, Imri will be joined by writer and podcaster Bethany Rutter. Uh, Bethany is the author of Plus and the co-host of the What Page Are You On podcast. We'll be helping you find your voice in a crowded space accepting yourself when society doesn't want you to, and finding a home for your many interests. So without further ado, I'd like you to give a nice warm welcome to Imri um, and, of course, Bethany. So weird. Hello, everyone. Can everyone hear me? Is that, am I fine? So, so weird, I can't hear myself. So I'm gonna do my formal intro for the recording of this podcast. Hi, I'm Imri, the host of The Wannabe Podcast, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you wanna be in 30 minutes or less. Thank you for coming to this, what will be my final live show of 2018 because I'm going on a three month, much needed break after 70 plus episodes in just under eight months. So I have done quite a bit. Uh, today's guest, of, of course, is Bethany Rutter. Bethany is a podcaster and writer. And as Andrew has so wonderfully said, he, she is the co-host of the What Page You On podcast, the author of Plus, which I have here. And it is gorgeous. So I hope everyone picked it up at the bookstore. Um, she put together a gorgeous, gorgeous compilation of plus size style and fashion for plus size women, but women of every body type as well. And it's all about body positivity, books, fashion, and everything in between. So in today's special recording, we will be talking about finding your voice, accepting yourself when society really doesn't want you to, and as women, I'm sure we can relate. And we will also be talking about how to tell your own stories as well. So, hi Bethany, how are you? I am fine, thank you, how are you? I'm good, thank you so much for joining me. 
today as my live show guest. Oh yeah. my gosh. Thank you. So who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? I so uh, I have a weird answer to this, which is uh, the special K lady. What? Um, <laughs> I th when I was like a kid and I was, I was also fat as a kid as I am now, I had this vision of myself as an adult and it was never like actually what I could reasonably look like when I grew up. It was always the special K lady in like a red dress. Oh, okay. Um, and then I just realized that was never gonna happen and started to be myself. So that was like a, a good trade-off. Nice. I'm glad I'm not the special K lady. <laughs> what did your parents think of you wanting to be the special K lady? I would never tell anyone I wanted to be the special K lady. I think that's the first time I've ever like verbalized that. So oh, thank wow. you so Exclusive. much for like, drawing this out of me. <laughs> what did your parents think you wanted to be? I think they thought I wanted to be like an author, which is weird because like I never really wrote anything. I just read a lot and I think I seemed like I should be an author. And nice. then I was always really like self-conscious about writing because I felt like it really revealed my inner self and I'm very like don't want people to know about my inner self. Um, oh, interesting. So yeah, didn't like, didn't really like writing. Uh, and now I actually am an author, which is really weird because it's the last thing I thought I would end up doing. What did you think you'd end up doing? It's funny because that's kind of changed over the years. I, um, I did French as my undergraduate degree and then I did a master in journalism at Goldsmiths. And it was while I was doing my master in journalism that I realized I didn't want to be a journalist. And then I became a journalist and I was like, oh, this is fine. Like some people, like not everybody gets to do a job that they're really passionate about. It's fine if I'm not defined by my job. I've got all these like side hustles. That will be what defines me. And then I was really lucky to like actually do a job that I really love, which is working in social media at a plus size fashion brand. Wonderful. So yeah, that has really like changed. Like my relationship to like what I am and what I want to be has really changed over the years. Where did the interest in fashion start? It's weird, like I've always, I've always been really interested in fashion. Like my parents are both like well dressed in an age appropriate way without being like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they look cool for that. Um, but I've never, yeah, I've never been, it's not like they work in fashion. It's not like I've ever been around people who work with clothes. I don't know, I think maybe it's like, I knew I wasn't like, pretty so I had to kind of find a way of constructing an identity like a, a part of my visual identity that wasn't tied to my own appearance mm -hmm. obviously now I think I'm pretty um but You're gorgeous yeah um but my interest in fashion has only increased with time nice do you feel like because I, I read plus and a lot of the women in there said at least in the early stages, they definitely felt excluded from fashion. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, so my, my, my weight fluctuates. And I think it was when I went from like a size 18 to a 20 that it really was like, that is a different thing. Like as soon as you cannot shop in most high street shops, like that really changes what you can wear and where you can buy it. And whether you can literally like go into a shop and buy something or whether you have to become an online shopper mm -hmm. and yeah. And whether like choices about your clothes are very much made for you when you are not, you know, a size whatever to an 18. Um, there's so much more kind of politics around clothes and the clothes that are being designed for plus size women are being designed with a specific idea of plus size women in mind. Um, so there's a lot fewer options, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I know. I 
I mean, I don't know. Um, but in the sense that where body image is concerned, I think as a, as a young woman growing up, obviously you see images and representations that are thinner, typically. That's been the common thing. Um, so I've always had like a weird thing in my head personally where I used to get really uncomfortable with the idea of going above size 10. Like I always wanted to, I've always been an eight or below. Um, now I'm a size 10 and I'm very happy with it. I'm trying to be thick and fabulous, but <laughs> right now it's just, it's just happening. But you know, I've, I can relate to the idea of just having that mental, that, that mental jump in your size of that feels weird and difficult. And now what do I do? How does this define me? And so I can, I can relate in that regard, but it's obviously not on the same scale or same level. Yeah. And I think that is the thing that I, cause I've, I've been having to think about this a lot in my kind of career as a person who thinks and talks about bodies and fashion is that I think the, the key difference is when it stops being like a mental block and it becomes like a practical block. Like I was thinking about this the other day <clears throat> about um, pictures of women in the summer wearing swimwear. And I was thinking like, there's kind of a difference between someone who is self-conscious in her bikini, but is a size 10 and someone who is self-conscious in her bikini and is also like above a size 18, 20, 22, 24, mm -hmm. who knows that one of the potential outcomes of going to the beach in that bikini is someone will take a picture of her and post it online and she will become a meme. Yeah. So I think that that's a really useful way of thinking about like bodies and oppression and which bodies are oppressed and like, yeah, when it stops being a kind of self-limiting thing and becomes a thing that is imposed by like the people around you. That's right. my take. I don't know, you know, maybe not everyone agrees, but like that's how I've come to kind of think about these things. That's a really interesting take because I mean, obviously I have the privilege of not actually thinking about it in that way because traditionally my body has not been oppressed in that way with regards to size. Obviously I'm still black and yeah. a woman. So there are other different, there's different things that happen there as some of us may know. Um, but I guess with regards to your body size, is there a moment specifically that you can remember that you realized that you were different or that your body wasn't the same as everyone else's and you were going to be treated differently kind as a result no. like it's weird like I I think maybe yeah I people ask me this and I'm always like I wish I did have an answer but I just feel like I always just knew there wasn't like a kind of moment where it was like oh my god I'm fat like I think because it was always kind of like that mm. in varying degrees um, unfortunately, I do not have a good answer for you. That's fine. But thank you for trying. Like, I could have. <laughs> Many people did. <laughs> That's fine. Could you take us on a whistle-stop tour of the journey you went on to accept yourself in as fully as you are now? Yeah. So I think when I was, like, a teenager, I was, like, really, like, weird about it in that I was like a size 18, which if I was size 18 now, my life would be really different because I would be able to like wear what I want and like probably wouldn't have had a career writing out plus size clothes. But anyway, when you're a teenager, like that is probably the biggest, you, you could reasonably be like the biggest person in your year at school. Um, so I was really self-conscious about it in a way that meant that I didn't want to draw attention to it. And I thought that if I didn't draw attention to it, no one would notice, which is like obviously ridiculous because everyone has eyes. Um, <laughs> so I was really self-conscious about it. It really limited like the way that I interacted with like romance and like developing sexuality as like a young person. I was super self-conscious about it. I lost loads of weight when I was at 17 and that, ooh, sorry, I just yelled into the microphone. I did something with, um, I lost loads of weight when I was like 17 and I was like a size 14 for a while. These things don't last. 
Um, <laughs> and that, I think, didn't help because it meant that like, when I got my first boyfriend, I felt that it was very much tied to the fact that I was thinner. And then, you know, obviously the weight goes back on. Um, and yeah, I really have always, I felt for a long time very inhibited by my weight. And then I somehow went digging down the back of the internet in like 2009, 2010, and I found like plus size fashion bloggers. And then that was like the early, kind of the early days of mm -hmm. plus size ladies representing themselves online. And it was then that I realized that I was not alone and that I had a choice about how I related to my body, um, which I think is really wild that if I hadn't come across people on the internet, I wouldn't have known that there were people in the world that were like chill about being fat. I think it's just wildly irresponsible that that isn't a message that is perpetuated in the world more than just on the internet. But um, from then on, I kind of like, you know, built some little, built some confidence and like stopped worrying so much. And I think a real turning point was I was doing like a lot of kind of online dating. <clears throat> I was going on a lot of dates and I just hated all of them. Like I'd go on these dates and I'd be like, just a fucking loser. Like, I just hate <laughs> you. Like, why am I here? Like, I just, this is terrible. Like I was living in Montreal <laughs> And that's like a city full of like cool, interesting people. Um, and I was still just meeting people and I was like, oh. moved back to London. We're still just meeting people that made me go like, oh. <laughs> and then one day I was like, what would happen if I messaged people that I found attractive? Because I'd realized that what I was doing was I was only messaging people that I thought would find me attractive. Ah, oh, interesting. Mm. <laughs> think we're all nodding because yeah. we do that. <laughs> so then like literally the minute that I was like, you're hot, I'm going to message you. You're hot, I'm going to message you. I went on like a wild spree. Um, <laughs> it was like going on like payday shopping on ASOS. I was like, that one, that one, that one. <laughs> and then that like my luck just completely changed. Like literally overnight, I was like meeting people that I was interested in and discovering that they were also interested in little old me. Amazing. Yeah, so that really like changed. I think just, it's not like meeting someone in particular changed my mindset. Like I was able to meet someone in particular because I just decided to change my mindset. Mm -hmm. I think I was just like, what's the worst that can happen? I get like 50 rejection messages tomorrow, which would have been terrible, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, and then since then, like weirdly since then, I think since I decided to like make active decisions in how I interacted with the world, everything has kind of improved for me, being like, I deserve to be in this space. I deserve to be in a relationship with this person. I deserve to cultivate a friendship with this person. I deserve to explore this creative avenue. Like, that has really changed my life. That That's was amazing. a really long answer. No, we asked for the whistle to stop tour, and by we, I mean me. And that was really great, because it is a, a bit of a mindset shift. I am a massive believer in changing your, changing your thoughts can change your circumstance. Um, and maybe, maybe it's me, but I'm a little bit that of the thought that things are generally neutral. Um, nothing is neither good or bad. It's just kind of how you perceive it. Um, so yeah, I think that, that nice shift because I'm definitely guilty of just kind of going for the people that I think would be interested in me. Um, and I also have like a really strange preference for chubbier men. 
Um, so there's that. I wanted to talk to you quickly about like intention, and I don't mean in the Oprah sense of the word of setting beautiful intentions for your life. I mean um, with regards to dealing with people, because I imagine that some of us are going to try and boldly accept ourselves or are on the journey of doing that. Um, and then because we might be different or we perceive ourselves to be different or other, you know, we might come across some comments and probably have already come across kind of negative comments, unpleasant things, where someone will then say to you, well, that wasn't my intention. I didn't intend to offend you. Um, and what is your response to people that are... Yeah. That say that, I guess. I try to be, like, gentle and patient, but sometimes there's just so many that it wears... <laughs> my gentleness and patience out. I do, I think like I do have like time for varying intentions. I think I, yeah, I think I do because I would never argue, like if I've just like done a radio appearance or I've just been on like TV or something, I would never bother to try and like engage with some like gammon <laughs> dude with like an egg avatar on Twitter who's like, <laughs> you are a menace to society, we shouldn't, you know, like, blah, blah, like, you are promoting obesity, blah, blah. Um, I just think I wouldn't, with that, I'm like, you're a lost cause, you don't care what I'm going to say, like, it will not change your mind, I will not improve your life, I will not improve my life. But I think if there's someone, like, who is making some kind of disparaging comment about themselves, I can be like, that's cool, like, don't worry about that thing. I don't know, yeah, I think... I think it is sometimes quite easy to tell when it is someone who could like use your help or like use like a gentle touch and someone who is literally just like projecting their hatefulness onto you. And yeah, like although I am quite like no bullshit and very like intolerant of, yeah, people being unpleasant to or about me and my body. I think if someone, if I could tell that it was someone who like, you know, they needed a little helping hand I am willing to give it. That's good. I wish I had that level of patience. <laughs> I don't. Definitely not for people online. This is Nicole Hannah-Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. Um, I, I read something in the book. I, I think it may have been in the foreword by Nicolette. Um, and it's probably, I've read, binge read it because it's actually very, it's mostly pictures and very short like, little the blurbs. The best kind of book. Just kidding. Yeah. I love all books. It's actually all, it's all pictures and tiny blurbs about the women and how they came, how they basically feel about fashion and their bodies. And it's really great. And something, a word that I've never come across before was, uh, like, well, a phrase was fat microaggression. Has anyone else, like by show of hands, heard of fat microaggressions? So for the audience, what is a fat microaggression? That's actually not an expression that I would personally use okay. because I feel like microaggression does or should refer specifically to things that are experienced by black people. Um, I, but I would assume what Nicolette intended by that is like the, the tiny little acts of daily bullshit that you experience, you know, like you, when you know someone's like talking about you or someone makes some like 
seemingly benevolent remark about your body or like, uh, as in like concern trolling. Uh, <laughs> What's concern trolling? So it's where like someone is trying to police your body, but through the guise of like helping you, like you've mm. never heard of like diet and weight loss before. Oh. I fucking wish. <laughs> I've never heard of those things before. But um, <laughs> yeah, so it's just, I think what she probably intended by that was like, yeah, the like daily bombardment of like diet industry stuff of the way that like it seems to be a really normal topic of conversation in offices mm -hmm. or on the front of women's magazines, uh, the way people interact with you, the way people interact with you. Um, yeah, I assume that's what she meant. Fair enough. I was really curious because I think how she described it is also, in, yeah, like you said, the industry kind of telling you that your body is not okay and that's in and of itself an aggressive act and yeah. a small act of violence against you. And the you. way that, like, that is just spread about, like, every industry, every situation, like, every experience. Like, it, it isn't just limited to, like, when you're watching TV or, like, when you are surfing the web. It's, like, it happens all the time from everyone, like, whether you're on the train or whether you're in a restaurant or, like, yeah, you're in the cinema watching a film can't watch a film because someone's going to say something shitty about fat people in it. Like, I think that's probably what she means. Yeah. I think some of us do it so, somewhat unconsciously as well. Like, mm. it just kind of just happens and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I should not have said that. Um, and that's an unfortunate thing, which is, I think it's important to know, like, what small things people should avoid saying. Because sometimes it is just so ingrained in our society to just kind of say mean things about fat yeah. people. It's almost that kind of invisible... That, that thing that we almost all hold as normal to yeah, do. Yeah, I think that is part of the problem. Whereas we all know racism is wrong and yeah. sexism is evidently wrong. And so, like, but, yeah, when it comes to kind of saying mean things about fat people, I know um, Stephanie Yeboah, she was a past guest on my previous podcast, and she said, you know, it was just so normal for someone to say something so hurtful to her on the street and no one did anything about it because it just didn't seem like something to defend yeah, it was just yeah, so normal yeah, yeah. for people yeah. to hear think, something like that I think that's true I think that like it's not only normal and acceptable but it is often a way of bonding like especially in the workplace like women bond about like their diets and like how much they can't eat or like mm. oh I shouldn't have that biscuit it would be so naughty and I'm just like I, ca I cannot not only can I not relate to that as a topic of conversation it is a way of speaking about people with bodies like mine as if like they shouldn't exist and it's it makes it really hard to like you know develop a bond with someone that does that and yeah obviously like Stephanie is also black so I feel like that yeah. would give another layer of like why someone would think she was like fair game to attack and you know to kind of verbally attack in the street and also not defend her um I think Stephanie is so great like I she's really lovely yeah every time I her. get the opportunity to like work with you know because I work at a women's plus size fashion brand. And yeah, every time I get the opportunity to, to work with her, I do try to. Let's talk about inclusivity. Um, it's actually my new favorite word. And I fear that inclusivity will go the way of diversity in being ruined by everyone. Um. <laughs> diversity is such a weird word because people use it to describe individual people. And I'm like, that literally doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> I don't get, yeah, it, I think it's become ruined by being like a buzzword. It has, and yeah. like people deploy it in weird ways. Yeah. Like a panel can be diverse if it has like people from different ethnicities, but like a person can't be diverse. Like it has to be different to something else. Like just, yeah, I don't know. It's weird.
um, I saw like a few uh, women's um, diversity initiatives and all of the panelists or judges or like a few programs have sprung up and they were all blonde white women and I was like how is this diverse and also like I just think with kind of diversity which I think gets solved by inclusivity is that you don't you shouldn't have a panel of people talking about I mean you, sh you can and should but I think isn't it more useful rather than having a panel of people talking about the oppression that they face to a group of people that also face that oppression to have them mixed in with people who do and do not so mm -hmm. that when a general question about an industry or an experience comes up someone can be like yes but have you thought of this rather yep. than like I don't know yeah I agree your book is very inclusive I really applaud you for that and I I guess my biggest question around how you put together the book is was that deliberate in your choice of women I mean it's literally hundreds of pages of different women from different backgrounds different ethnicities um, different levels of able-bodiedness from what I could tell um, and it was genuinely like an inclusive piece of work so was that very much deliberate on your part or do you think it just came natural for you to, to do that I think it was both I think like it came naturally for me because I know lots of different kinds of plus-size women from around the world but I also was very deliberate about that um, instead of just assuming that I would end up kind of reaching out to all of them, I made, I actually like color code, when, when people would submit their photos, I would color code them as like uh, white or not white. And they, I wanted it to be like 50-50 um, because I just felt as much as I would naturally try and do that, I wanted to make sure that the end result reflected my intention rather mm. than just being like, I have good intentions. And then the book ending up being like mostly like able-bodied white ladies. And um, and yeah, I think it is kind, I feel like you're, I'm not meant to say that I intentionally did it, but I think it's okay. Like, I think it's more useful to have a book that has an include, like includes a lot of different kinds of women. I think if, as long as the end result is, Good. Yeah, the end result is good. But why do you feel like it's a weird thing to say that you I don't intentionally know. I did it? Like, Where'd that come from? I think it's from that like thing where I think white people are meant to say that they don't see race. Um, white people should definitely not say that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. You know just, <laughs> don't yeah, say that. Yeah, I think to say that like I, I do see race is like, yeah, I don't know. I also think that it was kind of easy because I think I've already said this in the intro, but most of the most interesting and well-dressed plus-size women are not white and a lot of those are not even from like the global north and they're often the most underrepresented people when you see roundups of plus-size fashion oh absolutely which i think is i think foolish. you had like south african women in there i was like living for all yeah, of those styles like, that's who I, when i was just talking about that i was like i love the south african ladies in my book they like, I, they're my so favorites good. they um, look so good yeah and i feel like i want things that I make to be useful. And I think that I want, when people read that book, I want them obviously to recognize the major players, but I want people to find people that they haven't seen before. Mm. That makes it useful rather than just being like a collection of like greatest hits. I want it to be something that people go, she's cool, I'm gonna follow her on Instagram. And yeah, I think making things that are useful is always my goal. Amazing. Has there, been a moment in like the 
whilst you've now kind of, I guess, found yourself, would you say that you've now found your voice? What is that? What's yeah. that like um, for the rest of us? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think finding my voice has meant knowing how to express myself. And obviously sometimes I'm like, that's a weird thing to say, or like, I don't really know how to articulate this, but um, I think be like knowing what my views are while they are still open to change and growth, but being able to articulate them and say things that are maybe useful for other people to hear. Um, but the whole finding my voice thing has been really weird in relation to writing fiction because yeah, that's a whole new thing. Like I wrote a novel for the first time two years ago, which is coming out next year because children's publishing is literally the slowest thing. Like there is no industry that moves as slowly as children's publishing. But, um, maybe pharmaceuticals? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, I, I genuinely think that you could like develop a drug, test it and get it on the market in less time than you could write a children's book and have it published. Um, yeah, I think... I've now like found my voice as me and now I'm like moving into finding my voice as like a writer of fiction. Um, that's been like a whole new weird thing. I, I'm trying to find my voice. I feel like sometimes I find it and then I lose it again. Yeah. Um, has anyone else ever experienced that finding and losing it? Like I'm really confident now. I've, I've got this, I've nailed it. And then somewhere along the way, it kind of just falls away. Have you experienced that yourself? Yeah. Or has it been pretty consistently strong? No, I've been pretty like, I know what I'm doing and I'm only like growing and learning in a good way and growing and learning and like new experiences. And yeah, I think like in terms of me writing as me or like thinking as me or speaking as me, I think I'm only growing more secure in that. Yeah. What is the kind of daily routine or practice that, you know, keeps that strong? Is it the posting on Instagram? Is it just constantly interacting with the community that yeah. is valuing that voice? Like, what is it yeah, on a day-to-day level? Yeah, I think it's, level? like, learning from people online and, like, um, just chatting. And, yeah, I think just, like, speaking into the world, having the world speak back to you, um, learning new and interesting things to think about. Um, I always, That's what I find really, like, strange when old people, you know, like, bad old people are, like... <laughs> You know, there's all these new words and, like, new terms that people want to, like, use and, like, things they want to be called. And I'm like, that's the good shit. Like, that is what is making life better for people. Like, having new words to talk about yourself or, like, think about the world and experiences. Like, that's really cool. So I think, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Speaking to the Sounds world, like you just got it all made. So what are you working on getting better at right now? R like writing fiction. Like that's yeah. <laughs> It's really hard. Like it's not hard. That's bullshit. Writing is easy because you do it inside sitting down. I do not want to like, I don't want anyone to go away from here thinking that I think that writing is difficult. Like on a practical level. Like obviously on a kind of personal intellectual level, you can sometimes be like, boohoo, I'm bad at this. But like, I do not think it's like a minor. Like I, I'm not like working in a mine. I'm not like, a fine, and like, I don't think it's difficult. Anyway, that's it. Um, yeah, I've been trying to write like a thousand words a day of my new book. And when you have a full-time job, yeah, that's quite a lot of words. But that was a kind of arbitrary figure. I don't need to do that. Yeah, I think like, find, that's, that's been the hard thing, is finding ways of getting things done in a way that is realistic in relation to the life that I have, but also means they get done. 
that's like the thing for me, I think. I'm keeping a lot of plates spinning and trying to do a lot of things. That sounds really hard. That sounds like my life right now. Yeah, like yeah. you are always like... <gasps> Last time this happened, it was my mum. <laughs> I don't think it's my mum this time. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it, it's fine. I just figure like, you know, I'll wait. Um, yeah, like you are freelance. So you yeah. are not only... Do you I'm have a lot going on? I do have a lot It lives going. and dies as to whether you do it. Whereas, like, no one gives a shit if I don't finish writing this book. Like, no one cares. But, like, with you, clients will care if you don't do that thing that you said you'd do. Yeah, I actually, after planning this festival, I have a festival for work that I'm planning that's in two weeks. Um, we called the Mindful Drinking Festival, which is about 10,000 people. So I have all of that to do in just after I run this marathon. Next one's starting, and I'm, like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. That's why I'm taking a three-month break. For, from the podcast because I do double episodes. So it's Monday, Wednesday, and I'm very disciplined with regards to putting that out. So that's not something that necessarily pays me and feeds me, but it feeds me, it feeds my soul. Yeah. Um, having conversations like this, like keeps me going. So it is a lot of work and you're right, like finding that balance of how do I do all the things that I really just, that are driving me to kind of live and be and exist in a happy way versus the things that kind of just need to get done, like work and festivals. Um, yes. So yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. But I've never written fiction before. I've always thought growing up that I really wanted to be a writer and I always thought I'd write like fiction um, or something creative. And then somewhere along the way that got lost. I think if I end up writing something, it'll be nonfiction because it's easier to write about yourself and your life. You can do that with fiction though. That's what I Yeah, have but you have maybe to do it like done. creative ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there like a sci-fi spit on it or No. There can is... you tell us what it's about? Yeah, so it's yes. actually um it's coming out next June 27th. They're like weirdly specific That's about a very knowing. specific date. Yeah. It's being published by Macmillan Children's who are just down the road. Very good people. It's called No Big Deal. It's called No Big Deal. It's a young adult novel about a cool, fat teenage girl trying to navigate the world of romance. Ooh. Which may or may not remind you of what I was saying earlier about <laughs> my life. Um, yeah, it's not literally autobiographical because that would be really boring. Um, but yeah, that's what... So I, I wrote that. Um, and I'm now writing a book for grown-ups with sex and murders in it. Oh. Um, maybe. Maybe that's what I'm writing. <laughs> if I do finish it, that will be what I have written. Um, but yeah, I think it's nice. So I have uh, various author friends. And I think for a lot of people, a lot of authors, the goal is to like just write and like live off their writing. Um, I literally have one friend who to whom that goal was so important, he built a house in the middle of a forest in Sweden and pumps his own water and chops his own wood. Sounds like the Unabomber. Fortunately, <laughs> it is not the Unabomber. It's a very nice man um, who has not Unabombed no one. Um, but yeah, like people, I know people who literally like engineer their life so that they can just write full time, they can keep their living costs so low that they can afford to like live off their books, even though everyone knows that books, unless you are Stephen King or JK Rowling, do not make you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Enough to live on. Um, whereas, like for me, I like having the security of a full-time job, even though having a job is annoying because it means I can't write. But like, I just, I don't, I do not want to be a full-time writer. Yeah. I like having lots of little things going on, and I like the security of like monthly money, which I can predict and will always be the same. Um, that sounds yeah. nice too. Yeah. And I feel like it's okay to not have huge aspirations for the work, like the kind of art or the creative work that you create because like life is hard London is brutal money is important the economy is probably only gonna get worse so yeah I think like having work that pays you and work that you do because you enjoy it and you want to get out of your system and you think that some people might be into it I think that's that's okay would you have ever considered self-publishing if you couldn't get a deal if I couldn't get a deal, I probably would have done, but it wouldn't have been my first choice. Because I'd that? rather someone just coughs up and gives me some money to do it. Like, <laughs> that's why. That's literally why. Like, I'd literally rather someone just gave me some money. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Wouldn't we all like that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like an entitled little bitch and <laughs> thought that I deserved it. That's also um, the reason that that didn't happen and I didn't have to think about that is that neither of my books basically I was encouraged to write both with plus I was specifically commissioned by my editor at Ebury um how did they find you how'd that come about it was so weird picture the scene there I am one summer week in 2016 in the same week I got an email from an editor at Ebury being like Hi, Bethany I'd love to take you for lunch I've got some ideas for like some non-fiction books I think you'd be really great for and then a couple of days later, I got an email from someone at Macmillan Children's who was like, hi, Bethany, I don't know if you write fiction, but like, I, I really, I think it would be really good. What I really want to publish is like a book that has like a fat teenage protagonist. And like, I like, is this something you do? Is this something you would do? And that all happened in one week. And it has never happened since. <laughs> there must have been some like publishing conference, like the grand witch meeting and the witches, you know, like they all just get together and like plot. Um, that sounds so, accurate. Yeah. yeah, that's what happened, and that's why I ended up writing what I wrote. And I think I would not have had the confidence or the belief that anyone would want to read the things that I was writing. I wouldn't have done either of those things off my own back, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, because were you writing before that, like blogging or anything? Yeah, I was blogging, kind of but I feel like because people kind of undervalue, like plus size stuff. Like it, it doesn't really filter down into like mainstream magazines. It's not really included in like TV stuff. 
Um, it's just not a, a normal part of mainstream media. So I would never have thought that someone would want to commission me and give me some money to do this. Or that, more to the point, I would never have thought that people wanted to read it. So I would never have, I would never have gone to an agent and been like, I would like you to represent me because I have this great idea for a book that I think you will sell. Um, and I would probably never have written any fiction if someone hadn't been like, would you think about this? So with my novel, I wrote it. Like, she was like, I'm not saying I'm going to publish it. I'm just saying I would like to publish something like it. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so I was writing it without even the security of knowing that it would get published. It was basically like, if you write something good, I would like to read it first, um, which is obviously, like, cool and motivating, but it doesn't guarantee anything. Luckily, what I wrote was not terrible, so it is being published. But, um, yeah, I would never have done that. I would never have done that off my own back. I would never have assumed that there was an audience out there for it. Even though, like, I knew that loads of people read my blog, which I don't use anymore because I'm too busy. Um, even <laughs> though I knew, like, loads of people followed me on Twitter and followed me on Instagram and, like, say nice things to me and say nice things about me. And I get commissioned to do some, like, freelance magazine writing every so often. I would never, yeah, even though, like, logically I knew there was an audience out there, emotionally, I would never have thought there was an audience out there. That's so, that's so interesting. Yeah, but it also that, means that was I cannot give advice on getting published because, Damn. yeah, it's such <laughs> that was a my weird... next question. Yeah, my path to publication yeah. was, like, very atypical. Um, yeah, that's my answer. Thanks. So... <laughs> That was genuinely my next question. <laughs> uh, let me think if there's like anything no, I can... No, it's fine. I can um, circle to the other part, which is, I guess, let's circle back to social media and that being kind of the place where you started to find your voice and started to accept yourself. You've obviously written a book that is full to the brim of women in the plus size industry space, like hundreds and hundreds of women. And I guess for... Not necessarily because any, uh, about plus sizeness, just about finding your voice and finding a space and carving out your own lane within what could be perceived as a crowded space. Yeah. How did you go about navigating that? Because I guess that's somewhat applicable to people entering podcasts because it seems like everyone has a podcast now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that might be kind of a limiting, that might stop some people from entering. So. Yeah, it's true. So um, is my microphone still working? Yeah. yeah, I just feel like when I uncross my my leg went dead and I uncrossed my leg and I felt like I lent on something in my pocket and I thought maybe I'd broken it. Um, yeah, with blogging, I came to it at like just the right time where there were enough people already doing it, but not so many people doing it that it felt like a saturated market. Mm -hmm. But then, in the years since I've been blogging, new people have like appeared on like an almost annual basis, and it feels like even though the market is kind of crowded. It just means that if you are really good, you will still get noticed. Like, it's not, it's never too late. As long as what you are offering is new and interesting and you put some effort into it, you will have a place. Like, it's, that's almost why podcasting exists in a way, is mm -hmm. like, I remember, like, years ago, I was trying to explain it to, like, someone and I was like it's like a free market of like radio shows like it's just you know you just get to choose what you listen to like yeah it's nice it, there isn't like a program you can just kind of find things that you're interested in and listen to them so I feel like that about podcasting where everyone's like everyone has a podcast these days but it's like they don't there are a lot of podcasts but I'm 
still going on my podcast app trying to find some like gnarly true crime shit or like <laughs> I'm still looking for new things. I'm always looking for something new to like stimulate me. Um, so I think as long as there isn't someone doing exactly what you want to do in exactly the way that you want to do it, I don't feel like people should be inhibited about going forth and podcasting. Um, I, like my podcast that I do now with what my friend Alice, you on? it's called What Page Are You On? Mm -hmm. And it's a books podcast. Was I the first book podcaster? No. Like I was, I was not under any illusion that there were no books podcasts before me and my friend Alice. But we just were like, this is a thing that we want to do. Like, it's fun. Like, all we do when we hang out is talk about books. What if we just recorded it and then made that a podcast? Like, I think people like listening to certain podcasts. I think you either have to have a really cool original idea, a really cool original story, or just be a likable person who has, like, a good relationship with their co-host. Like, that is often enough. Like, there are so many, like, light, chatty podcasts that only they live and die by how likable the relationship between the hosts are. And that's a genre of podcast. So I feel like as long as there is something that separates what you're doing from some other podcast that seems similar, there's no reason to feel like inhibited by the fact that you are not literally like the first mover in that space. I agree. I love podcasting because I feel like it's one of the places that's truly not competitive. Yeah. That like you either like my voice or you don't. Yeah. I like, cannot force you to like me. <laughs> like, like people will listen to what they like. Um, and I think that's just like, it's just a wonderful equalizer because I think if I recommend a show, it doesn't actually hurt me to recommend or promote someone else's content because either they're going to go and listen to it and love it, um, but it doesn't necessarily take anything away from me. And I think that's been the biggest lesson I've learned from podcasting um, is that it's just a wonderful, wonderful space where everyone can listen to so many different kinds of shows. Yeah. And it doesn't actually, like, contrary to popular belief, like someone listening to a show that is in a similar category to your show will not necessarily steal them away from your show. It doesn't work like that. They just want to consume everything on that topic because podcast listeners can be somewhat obsessive about yeah. what they consume. Yeah, like that, I just think that idea that you shouldn't, you should be scared of like other people in your field is so absurd because like think of how many true crime shows there are like people didn't just listen to serial and then be like well i've done that now i will <laughs> never listen to another one i um, mean i never some liked. people did like i did but then i tried to find others they just weren't the same yeah but i feel like if you're into an area you're probably like just thirsty for all the content. Yeah, about I that listen, thing. I'm always in the careers and business category because yeah. I just like listening to business shows. So, and I have a few voices that I like listening to. Kat's here from Blogtacular. Love her show. It's amazing. Check it out. Um, wonderful show. Um, so, yeah, no, I think people can sit in your same lane, but I wouldn't let that be the thing that stops you from pursuing podcasting. As you said, I've lost all my cards now. Um, also, it's so fun. And like, I think it would be sad if someone was like denying themselves the experience of creating something because someone had done something similar before. If that was how it worked, like no one would write books. Like you just sit down and be like, well, someone like if I'm trying to write a crime novel, I'd be like, well, Ruth Rendell wrote them all. <laughs> I, there is no place for me. Like Patricia Highsmith has written so many good ones that I have nothing to add. And I think that would be really rubbish. And, you know, you can admire someone, but I don't think even they, even like Patricia Highsmith, who was like a really mean old lady, 
would be like, I don't want anyone to write any dark crime things after me. Like, I don't think anyone wants that. Like, I want people to start books, podcasts, because I want to listen to them. It's cool and fun. Nice. What does the world look like once your, world, once your work here is finished? What does that world look like? Interesting. And is your work ever finished, do you think? I think, personally, my work in relation to, like, clothes and bodies will never be finished, at least not in my lifetime, because I think the diet industry is so powerful and has so much money. And people invest themselves in the messages of the diet industry so much. So I think that because of that, I don't think that the, I don't think that I have enough power and sway to take that stuff on. And I don't even think that the collective force of all of the amazing thinkers and writers who are thinking and writing in this area have enough power to dismantle that in our lifetimes. But that doesn't mean that people can't individually live more peaceful lives with their bodies, which is like really radical. But um, yeah, I think my, the world looks like people at least reflecting on questions about how they feel about their body, how they feel about the people's bodies, what bodies they think are acceptable. Um, even if we're, we do not live in this radical, fat-positive utopia. Nice. Yeah, I, I don't know that my work will ever be finished either, which is unfortunate, because the world could be so much better if it went my way. Yeah, and just uh. <laughs> think about how many people would do interesting things if they didn't feel like they couldn't. Like that is, I think that's like the bottom line with the work that so many people who have been here today, I think that's like the uniting force is like, imagine all the cool shit you could do. Like that for me is the saddest part of like oppression is it just limits the things that people are allowed to do or feel like they're allowed to do or both. Yeah, I guess something that I've taken away from speaking to so many amazing women here today and some of the men too. Um, has been that like so many people have come away from today with so many wonderful ideas. You have so many amazing interests from books to fashion to body positivity and gosh everything um, that I've seen you tweet about including Chunky Cats I believe. Chunky the cat. Chunky. Oh your Chunky cat is called? It's not even my cat it's just a cat that lives on my road that I oh, see literally yeah. every day. I saw that and I was like wait what? It does I was have very an official confused. owner but I do not recognize that as a thing that is true. Okay so <laughs> how do you decide on your own channels I guess you, you yourself as a brand, as an entity, as a person of interest to many. How do you decide what interests you're going to share and where? How do you find a home for all of those places, those wonderful interests you have? Unfortunately, for the people that follow me, I literally just, like, say them all the time. Like, I, I'm very unstrategic. Like, I don't... I'm not good at, like, planning and thinking, like, when would be a good time to share this thought? I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. So I do produce a lot of, especially on Twitter, I feel like I produce a lot of words that relate to my various interests and activities. Um, I feel yeah. like your Instagram is very curated. Though. That's so weird because Instagram is a thing that I put the least effort into. Um, like I, I, I used a hashtag for the first time. What? The other day. On Instagram? Yeah, because I was always like, oh, is it uncool to use hashtags? Like, will that make me look like I want more followers than I have? I'm shameless in my hashtag Yeah, use. I know, but so is everyone. And I know, like, years down the line, like, I've had Instagram since, like, 2011 or 2012, and I'm like, 
I should, probably should have been doing what, that. What happened when you used the hashtag? Well, I had to use what? the hashtag because it was my first ever hashtag ad. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, which was for this. Okay, I'm going to tell you. This isn't an ad, but I feel like there are people here that will benefit from this knowledge. It's this stick that you rub on your inner thighs to oh prevent chub rub. <laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, it exists, guys. Yeah, like, I'm so scared of chub rub. Like, it would ruin my day. Like, it would ruin my summer. So I would always wear these like ribbed cycling short things under my clothes. Everyone is literally nodding. You know, like you even just if you're not so like actually thighs. fat, I feel like if you have thighs that touch, like this will happen to you. <laughs> so I've been wearing these little shorts under my clothes for ages in the summer. But that means that I can't wear things that are shorter than the shorts or it means, you know, it, it affects what I wear. It's really annoying. They have to be clean. Like I have to, you know, be washing them all the time. Like um, <laughs> I only have two pairs, you know, like it really does affect like what I wear. So it's very important to me to find a solution to this. And then I found this stick. So that has really changed my life. Um, so that was the first time I've ever like hashtagged ad was to talk about this stick. So you got Which I will not name here. Chubrub? Because it's not an ad. Is it not called Chubrub? No, Chubrub is just like the casual name that people oh, use for the experience of your thighs rubbing together. You can visit Bethany's Instagram account and yeah, find out and what find out it's for yourself. called. But yeah, it, it works, I promise. Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> That's your answer. How I'm did not... you get that ad? I, I want to know how to get Instagram sponsors. That they sounds... just emailed me, and I think they just emailed like a lot of like cool fat ladies, and were like, "You will know about this. <laughs> you are a target audience." Yeah, exactly. And I was like, "That's actually quite cool to be like, we acknowledge that this is a thing that predominantly affects fat ladies, rather than trying to shy away from." You know, I feel like brands are often squeamish about associating themselves with fat ladies. Even like very glamorous and attractive fat lady influencers. Like if you see a lot of kind of brand press trips for like beauty brands or like food brands or makeup or whatever, like it's always like the skinny white bloggers who all basically look the same, which doesn't make any sense. But yeah, this brand who solves a fat lady problem um, <laughs> were not squeamish about reaching out to fat influencers. Wonderful. Yeah. Congratulations on your first you. Instagram ad. Yeah. All right. So finally, before I throw it out to maybe one or two questions, I want to know what the best advice you've ever received was and what the worst advice you've ever received was. I always ask this question back to front, but I actually want you to answer worst first. Okay. The worst advice I've ever received. I clearly didn't take it. It's the common answer to this yeah, question. Yeah. Like, I don't... It's really weird because it feels like people remember bad things more than they remember good things. Except bet, for bad advice. Yeah, and I bet people can always tell you, like, good advice they've received. Yeah. Interesting. You can start with good first and end on a sour so the, note. The best <laughs> advice I ever received was, in the year of our Lord, 2013, I started a club night. It ran for about a year and a half, and it was so good. It was literally, like, the best place in the world. Um... You know, like in like 90s or early noughties teen programs, there was like a club where everyone went or like a bar, you know, like the bronze in Buffy. It was like, Wait, what? <laughs> where like you went there and like everyone you knew was there. That was what my club night was like. It was so good. Where um, was it? <laughs> it was called Dancing on My Own. <laughs> Are you sure everyone was there? <laughs> As in like everyone in the, the kind of queer London world. Oh. It was very like the Twitter, like... Communist Twitter, queer London, this took fat a turn. people. Like it was, it was, <laughs> when I say everyone, I mean everyone in a very specific demographic. Sure. Um, 
So the night before the first time I ever did it, I contacted someone that I knew um, who is called Rudy, who with her partner Tamsin runs like the OG queer London night, which is called Unskinny Bop. They are like two cool fat lesbians who have run it for more than 10 years. And I said to Rudy like, sage wise person, like, do you have any advice for me? And she was like, only play songs you like. And I feel like that has really come through into other areas of my life. Only play songs you Only like. Only play songs you like. I've so, been to clubs where DJs have done that and it's ruined my night. But then it has <laughs> ruined their night. Like, if I think the overall, the good advice part of that is where it's like, if you're passionate about it, you are, it will be like a net good. And I feel like that is how I'm feeling about writing at the moment. Like, I can tell if what I'm writing is good if I like it. Whereas when I start thinking, when I start thinking of like an imaginary reader and being like, what would be in a normal book? Like, what would a normal book do? Or like, what is a, what would just be like the thing that a reader would want here rather than like, what do I want to write? Like, it's only good if I think it's good. Otherwise, what's the point in me doing it? If I'm doing it for some like imaginary other, what's the point? Um, so yeah, only play songs you like and applying that to the rest of my life. Nice. That has been good advice. Bad advice? I don't know. I guess anyone that like has opinions on what I wear is bad advice. As in bad opinions. Nice. Um, Fair yeah, enough. that's my answer. Thank you. That's everything for the podcast. Thank you so much, Bethany. Thank you for having me. Do we have any questions from the audience? And do we have a microphone? We do. Oh my God, oh, wow. I'm so happy that there are people <laughs> that want to know something. One in the front and there's one in the back there as well. Um, can I just say I'm really appreciating the colour coordination between your trousers and the Shout Out Live um, branding. Oh, yeah. Absolutely loving that. Thank Thanks, you Bethany. to you for inventing that. <laughs> but my question is, how on earth do you manage to write a thousand words a day whilst holding down a full-time job? How do you balance that? It is hard, and I think I have had to come to the realisation that that isn't sustainable, and it is an arbitrary number. So if it was, say, 500 words a day, I basically was just like, I want to write this book. A book is roughly 70,000 words. If I write a thousand words a day between now and my birthday, I will have written a book by my birthday. That is a ridiculous way to <laughs> impose structure on yourself. So I think basically it, it was taking too much time and I think it's okay to acknowledge that and not do it. Um, it would be nice if I could be like, I get up at 5 a.m. and I spend an hour writing before the sun rises, but I don't, like, that isn't realistic <laughs> for my, the life that I have. Um, so that is my answer, is I basically am now just reassessing what I want to achieve by when. Is there someone's hand over here as well? Hey. Hello. Hi, Kirsten. <laughs> Hi, Amy. I'm going to stand up so you can see my body. <laughs> yes. And what a nice body it is. Um, I have, well, first of all, so much appreciation for, for everything you've said. It's really weird. I've been this week thinking about the fat microaggression out of nowhere. Um, and I want to relay an experience 
and without claiming any microaggression nomenclature or anything like that, um, have you ever been told to use that changing room because it's roomier? No. Yeah, no, that's that a weird. bitch. No. <laughs> yes. So I think that's that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Leading, yeah. leading on from that, is, yeah, people are dicks. So, sorry, two <laughs> swears. I will stop swearing. How do you, to both of you, how do you connect to a sense of shame about being who you are? Because I think when you are at any point in your life when you're overweight, and this is, again, with the way people scold themselves, it's really, it's like, okay to call yourself fat whatever, but do you ever go like, oh, I'm such a black bird or something like that? You know, is there a, how is that different in terms of how you, how, who you, what you look like is part of a sense of shame about who you are, if that feeds into that at all? I think for me, because I have now got to the point where I do not think that fat is bad. I think when I was younger, it was very much like, obviously being fat is bad, it's ugly, it's shameful, I shouldn't, you know, when I'm older, I will be the special K lady. Um, and I think now, because I'm just like, I do not buy that, I do not believe it, I do not impose that on other people, that is not how I navigate the world, it means that I do not put that on myself, so... Uh, yeah, I don't really experience shame in that way because I do not think it's something to be ashamed of. The things I experience shame for are the way, the kind of public humiliation. That's, it's when people try and make you feel bad. And like what Stephanie was talking about, when you realize that no one is invested in helping you, people are invested in making you feel bad and no one is invested in helping you because you are part of this thing that is taken for granted by so many people to be ashamed of. Just because I am there I'm past that. It, it's hard to operate in a world that is not also there. That's where a lot of the like pain comes from, is like, I know I deserve better, but no one is treating me better. How about you? Yeah, I think it's exactly the same. Like, I don't have a lot of negativity towards my blackness. Um, I actually really like it. I think it's really cool. It's really beautiful. My hair is fantastic, and so is my melanin. Um, so I, I actually don't have a lot of shame around being black, it's like you said, it comes from the external forces that tell you that your work's not good enough. You have to work as um, doubly as hard. It's the fact that you do double the work and you don't get half as much. That's the kind of thing. It's coming from external forces that tell you you shouldn't, you're, you shouldn't be as confident as you are and you shouldn't, you shouldn't have achieved what you have achieved considering who you are. That doesn't come from me, though. I, I rebuke that in the name of all Jesuses. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. One more question I think we've got time for. Just here. Yeah, you. No. Is there another one over here? I don't know. I keep seeing hands. You first. Go, go, go. Okay. I've, I've had my say a few times that there was someone over there. Um, have you, very short question because if the answer is no, then there's nowhere to go. Have either <laughs> of you watched Dietland? No, because I love sex workers and I have many friends who are sex workers and I have heard that the book and the TV adaptation do not treat them well. So I've been avoiding it on those grounds. I know that it is like a major win for the representation of fat women. I love the actress Joy Nash. I've met her before. I think she's absolutely wonderful, but the, I'm very unwilling to engage with something that I know has such anti-sex worker politics. I have not heard of it, no. 
It's on AMC, the channel that brought us Mad Men. I do um, like Mad Men. Yeah, and it has Juliana Margulis from Ooh, Good Wife. And I like her too. ER. Yeah, me too. And it's it just sounds a shame. like it should be a good combination. It, I think it's a good combination, but I'm very like. Yeah, like it, they literally like kill sex workers in the name of feminism, oh, which okay. to me is not feminism. Yeah. Interesting. I'm not about that life. All right. Any was more questions? Question or we... Oh, we have a friend down the front. Hey. This this front. This side is being quiet today. It's fine. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, I'm losing my voice today. Um, I was just curious, question to both of you guys, because um, now you guys are kind of known for certain kind of content. You're doing um, the kind of fashion you do. You're doing stuff that relates to POCs. So I wonder, and being a content creator, you said you have lots of other interests. Do you ever feel pigeonholed? Like, this is the thing that I'm known for. I have lots and lots of other interests, but I feel so pigeonholed into this one area that I feel like it's stunting my creativity. I've been really lucky, I think, to be able to like, not to be able to, but rather to just like not feel inhibited by that and just like keep adding new things that I'm doing. Because um, most of the stuff I do, with the exclusion of my books, are not things that anyone asked me to do. It's things that I've been like, this is the thing I want to explore. This could be fun. Um, so yeah, I've been really lucky that I have, I've never been like, Ooh, it will dilute my brand if I start doing book things. It's more, I always see it as like an asset to me because I will enjoy it and it'll be fun. I think um, maybe last year I probably felt pigeonholed more so um, because the name of my past podcast was literally called Melon and Millennials and people honestly just assumed it was a black thing. Um, and so in that regard, yeah, I did feel very limited by it because not every topic we covered on that show was a representation of who I was. Whereas now, I guess with this show, it, it has enabled me to widen that a bit. So I speak to so many different people, so many different types of women and sometimes men, um, but mostly women because um, we're more interesting. And uh, yeah, I think that that has actually opened it up. But at the moment, it's enabled me to speak to white women, Asian women, um, women who are cartoonists from women who are authors and like honestly every kind of interesting person so in that regard like I feel like actually I found a way to kind of meander and actually take myself out of the box of just POCs I look at this room and it's truly what I would consider to be inclusive um, so I think I found a way to build inclusivity into my brand and in and because that's part of my interest like I'm genuinely interested by all people by nature of me being an anthropologist in life so I think there are ways to maneuver out of it. Um, but with regards to like kind of what you said, it's not necessarily the POC thing that I feel pigeonholed by. It's kind of this good, clean image of having to be um, a businesswoman, uh, owner of a brand, uh, a big brand that has a lot of responsibility in how I present um, to the world matters and can impact the wider business and people within my organization. So in that regard, I do feel very much um, limited in what I can say and do. So I can't express every interest or every kind of petty thought that popped into my head on Twitter. And I have many petty thoughts. So I would say in that regard, I, I do. But um, I guess that's just the nature of being building a brand and owning a business in, in this economy. I think that's all we've got time for, because they're flashing those zeros at us. <laughs> but thank you so much, everyone. Thank, thank you, thank you Bethany. All right. Do you, did you want me to do general announcements? Or?
Andrew's going to come and tell you about goodie bags and things. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. So <laughs> thank you so much. I think we want to give them another round of applause. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Where are you going? Oh, do we stay? Yeah. Oh, you stay. sorry. Oh, I'll go. So I want to give a massive thank you to Imri for bringing this event from inception. Yeah. Um, I came on board as the festival producer and she brought this idea um, and I'm very privileged to be able to make that come to life. Um, I want to thank the shout out team as well. Uh, thank you to F.A. Uh, where is he? He's, that's the question of every event. Oh, he's behind me. Yes, oh, thank you to F.A. <laughs> a thank you to our volunteers as well for taking the time out of their schedule to be with us. A big thank you to our sponsors, so Acast, Audible, uh, special thanks to Spotify as well as BBC Sounds. Um, without their help, the event would not have been the success it has been. And a big thank you to all of you today for being with us. Um, I hope there's been a lot of value. Um, I remember Imri saying she thought it'd be quite ironic to have like a male host. And I didn't plan on being the host, but here I am. We've got a male. Yeah. So I personally have learned a lot from all the females that have spoken today and all of their experiences. Um, it's been a massive learning curve. And I think, of course, as much as we all need our safe spaces, I think it's important that women, men um, at least are able to listen and absorb the conversations that have happened today. Um, I'd just like to pass the floor to him if you have anything to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I just want to say a massive, again, massive thank you to everyone that came out today. I had no idea that this was going to be a resounding success. I've been mostly zen today as well, especially yesterday, considering the massive amounts of organization and pre preparation that went into this. So I'm so, so, so grateful that you all came out. Now I'm getting emotional, Andrew, why? <laughs> but no, thank you so much. I really do hope that you have taken away something from today. I hope that you go off and create podcasts because we need more women in podcasting. Like I seriously, seriously believe that. I think podcasting will be a much more, it's a good place. It's actually really good as it is, but it will be so much better with you all in it. So please do bring your ideas, bring your originality. Bring your creativity, bring yourselves, your full selves to podcasting. It is definitely the best community. And of course, we will be here to support. Please do feel free to email us, tweet us, um, and just share anything that you want with us. We will definitely be supportive. And of course, so are the sponsors, Spotify, Acast, Audible, and BBC Sounds, um, who are definitely supporting this kind of event because they want to see more women too. So please do feel free to reach out to any of us. We will definitely be supporting you in building your dreams and building your podcast. Um, yeah, thank you to Andrew, who has been a phenomenal, phenomenal person to work with. Um, special thanks to Shima, who came through at the jump in, in the very last minute to help plan the day and run the day. Thanks to Lazara, my sister, and Shirai coming through, and Yomi and Efe as well for volunteering and lending their time. Genuinely appreciate you all. And to the speakers who just gave so generously today. You have been so, so, so phenomenal. I could not have asked for a better lineup. I curated this so specially, like every single person was chosen by me. So um, it means a lot that you all said yes and that everyone took away something from your talks today. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. I'm good. Oh. <laughs>
Bye. Thank you. See you in 2019. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.